Pontifax is part of the Agora Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 88, Pope John the Seventh. Ooh, I didn't realize we were to seven. Yeah. It seems like it hasn't it's it hasn't been that many. Well, and last week was John the Sixth, so it's two Johns in a row. <laughs> I just don't know how to count. I don't know how to count Johns anymore. They're they they keep they come in little blurbs. Like we'll have a bunch of Johns in a row and then no Johns for a long time and then a bunch of Johns in a row. We've gotta give this John a nickname. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, I'm rolling for you. We've got a three, and we've got a four. What is up with me rolling two numbers directly in a row? Directly next to each other. We have a silver fish. Silver, ooh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Silverfish are terrible. They eat the words out of books. Yeah, that's, um... That is a really unfortunate nickname. Ooh, boy. Is it advantageous? Is it going to go together with his story? Well, like, his story definitely has something to it, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll have to decide at the end whether we can slap those two things together. John was born in around 650 in Rosana in Calabria, which is the southernmost part of Italy. We're talking like the very toe of the boot that is kicking Sicily. His family was of Greek heritage, which continued to be quite common for the south of Italy, and his father was called Plato, and his mother was called Blata. Blata? Blata, with two T's. And Plato. It's pretty cool, we have a mom's name. Yeah, a mom's name, but it's not a great name. It's not a great name, but they are definitely very Greek names, right? We have Plato, it is the Greekest of names. And most likely the reason that we know about his parents' names, especially his mother's name, right, because we don't generally get that, is that we know that John was from a very elite family. His grandfather was a senator called Theodorus Kilas, and his father was a Byzantine official responsible for the imperial palace on the Palatine Hill in Rome, and his job was basically to restore the palace and its wealth. So it is a very comfortable and very distinguished position. And John was very dedicated to his family, as we'll see. While his family lived extremely well in Rome, John entered the church and earned a reputation as an exceptionally educated man. And over time, he was appointed to be the rector, overseeing the income and management of papal patrimonial property on the Appian Way. It's a pretty... Also, very comfortable and very distinguished job. Unfortunately, while serving in this role, in the year 687, both of John's parents died, and he constructed a memorial to them, reading, quote, with a broken heart to a most loving and incomparable mother and to the kindest of fathers. So he's very, very connected with his family. And then in 703, John was named a cardinal deacon, and when Pope John VI died in 705, John was elected to be the next pope. But unlike most popes, Pope Silverfish did not move into the Lateran. No? No, he didn't. Instead, he built his own residence on the Palatine Hill where his parents had lived to live in, to be close to where they had lived, 
And while he was at it, he also restored a church nearby that his parents had loved, the Sancta Maria Antiqua. So he's like, if I'm going to be Pope, I'm going to take advantage of this and I'm going to stay close to my roots in a very, very meaningful way. But the beginning of John's papacy also happened to coincide with something else. The return of Justinian II. We told you he'd be back, and here he is. Is this no-nos? This is no-nos, yes. Perfect. He's back as emperor. He has been restored after some time in exile. So he is now back to being emperor with no-nos. And he wants revenge. Revenge on those who have deposed him. Revenge on those who have plotted against him. Revenge. Oh, and by the way, he hasn't forgotten his conflict with the popes, so he wants revenge there, too. One of his first interactions he was going to have with this new pope was going to be to make a statement. He basically took the patriarch of Constantinople, Callinicus, and blinded him. And by blinded, I do mean eyes gouged out blinding. Okay, stabbed him in the eyes, that's fair. Yeah, not uh, boiling vinegar blinding, the actual gouging out of the eyes. I didn't know that that was another option. This is a very popular option at the time. They would either boil some sort of like vinegar or acid compound and they'd put you above it and you'd have to stare in it until you were blind. Ouch. Yeah, that's a thing. Kalinicus definitely got the gouging form, so unfortunate. And then, once this man had been blinded, he sent him to the Pope, bearing a message. And the message itself was a copy of the decrees of the Quinisex Council, with a request that he confirm or amend the canon so they could be confirmed, with the very strong implied demand, just accept these. These things that your, your predecessors refused to accept, you need to just accept them. And just for the sake of historical accuracy, some sources on Callinicus don't mention him being sent to Rome in this way, only that he was imprisoned in a monastery, so maybe he didn't get sent to Rome, but the Pope definitely got some sort of threatening messenger with these canons, and since some sources say it was literally the blinded Callinicus, we're going with it. So this puts John in a very precarious position. I mean, we've already discussed these canons and why they're not going to fly in the West, but he now has a man with no eyeballs in front of him and an emperor who is hell-bent on revenge, who had literally tried to arrest and kidnap the Pope the first time around that these canons were rejected. Defiance is probably not going to be in his best interest if his goal is, you know, longevity or, you know, the preservation of his life. So John found a middle ground and stalled by just sending the canons back completely unsigned. <laughs> it's a gamble, right? Oh, pretend like they get lost in the mail? No, I didn't get that gouged-eyed man. Nah, no, I didn't see him. Him? Never heard of him. That's exactly it, right? Oh, return to sender, I must not have been home. And interestingly enough, the Liber Pontificalis gives him a lot of flack for this. They say, Emperor Justinian II dispatched two metropolitan bishops, also sending with them a mandate in which he requested and urged the pontiff to gather a council of the apostolic church and to confirm such of them as he approved and quash and reject those which were adverse. But he, terrified in his human weakness, sent them back to the prince by the same metropolitans without any emendations at all. 
kind of harsh. We can assume that if this is a Roman writer, that the criticism is more for doing nothing rather than standing up and defying the emperor. But I mean, these canons had already been very publicly rejected. They've sat unrecognized for over 10 years. So ignoring them was a fairly clever way of keeping the peace. This is not a bear I would poke. So I am with Pope Silverfish here. Maybe, maybe that's how his name could, could come together. Maybe he just would have the silverfish eat out the words that were undesirable. <laughs> For the time being, he managed to avoid the ire of the emperor. And so things were steady. The stall tactic worked. And then in 707, John was able to build off the goodwill slash bribery that his predecessor had made with the Lombards. And he convinced the Lombard king... King Aripert II, to return the territory of the Cotian Alps, which is an alpine region on the westernmost border between Italy and France, to give it back to the Pope, as it had formerly been papal patrimonial land, and it had since been conquered and stolen by the Lombards. And Aripert, who was feeling very generous after all that bribery last time, not only returned the territory but did so in a decree that confirmed them as property of the Holy See. Thank you, Airbert. Yes, this is good. This is great news. It established very good ongoing relationships with the Lombards and the Pope. It's good news. Also during John's papacy, there were several Anglo-Saxon clerics in Rome, and John observed that they had a somewhat peculiar custom by Roman standards, that they only dressed in their ecclesiastical garb when they were performing religious services, but then they wore normal secular attire when they were out in public in their daily life. So in Rome, it's the norm for clerics to always dress in clerical garb, whether they're performing religious services or not. Like, this is how they are identified in the community as clerics all the time. And so John corrected this behavior in Rome and then wrote to the churches of England to get them to correct the custom in their own diocese. We do have a copy of this letter, but only in Latin, so I won't quote it, because I was able to read it by putting it through a Latin-to-English translator, and while it makes sense, it's uh, not quotable. John was also very concerned with construction and restoration of the church in Rome, particularly with regards to the worship of the Virgin Mary and especially on his beloved Palatine Hill, where he also added a new ambo, which is an elevated sort of pulpit, and several new monuments within the church of Santa Maria Antiqua, his favorite church. He also constructed a new chapel to the Virgin Mary in St. Peter's, and a monument to the Virgin Mary added at Santa Maria in Trastevere, and restored a monastery, which is the Monastery of Subiaco, which had been destroyed by the Lombards a hundred years prior. So he's getting around, and he's, you know, just kind of doing good Pope things. And then he died in his Palatine Hill residence on October 17th, 707, not of natural causes. What? What'd he die of? Well, this is the story. These rumors are not founded in any veritable sources, but it is often repeated, and it is salacious as all get out, so uh, of course we're going to tell it. So apparently, Pope John VII, Pope Silverfish, was beaten to death 
by a man who was enraged when he caught the Pope in flagrante delicto having sex with the man's wife. Oh. Yeah. So uh, this Pope died while uh, boning someone else's wife. Just punch, punched him to death. Punched him to death because how dare you sleep with my wife, Pope Silverfish. How dare. This is a kind of huge left turn in his story so right? far. <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. Like, Also, he died during sex by being punched a lot. Ooh, whoa. Surprise! Um, and I do want to point out that he is not the only pope to have been rumored to have died in this way. And he's not even the only Pope John who is rumored to have died in this way. So this is probably not true at all. But heck yeah for fructus prohibitums. <laughs> so he was buried in the Vatican in the new chapel that he'd constructed, the Altar of the Madonna of the Sudorio, which is now part of the Vatican Grottoes. His tomb was destroyed in the construction of New St. Peter's, and several fragments that may or may not be part of his epitaph still survive, but there is only one full historical account of his epitaph, which says, Here Pope John wished his own sepulchre and arranged to be laid at the feet of Our Lady, placing his soul under the protection of the Holy Mother, the Mother of God, the intact Virgin. To this place he brought every embellishment, changing the ancient squalor in a way that posterity would be left with amazing gratitude. He did this not because he desired vainglory, which dies with the end of one's life, but because he was driven by the religious ardor of the mother of God. Not considering the costs, he employed whatever that he had that was precious in order to donate it to you, O Holy Mother. He gave what remained as a gift to the poor, the pilgrims arriving exhausted from the oceans to the holy city, when destitute would find food, and with it what was necessary for life. For these things, O oh eminent man, your hope is certain in heaven. And that is uh, Pope Silverfish. Wow, that's it? Okay, that let's rate him. It. Let's rate this man. Papatum infallium. He did not cave and recognize those canons of the Quinisex Council. He returned to sender on the blind man. <laughs> A blind man. That poor man. This man just... Uh, I feel bad for him, but also gotta send him back. Gotta send him back. He restored patrimonial lands to the papacy with the Lombards. He corrected the Anglo-Saxon custom of wearing secular garb so that they would always look like clerics. And he restored churches and proliferated icons of the Virgin Mary. There's some stuff there. Yeah, I can give him probably like a seven. I'm not gonna go quite that high. I was thinking like... Uh, you know what? I'll give him a five because resisting the canons is pretty good. Proliferating the cult of Mary clearly has very lasting effects, as we know. So he'll get a nice 12 in Papatum and Thallium. Fructus prohibitum. Well, I mean, come on. He may have died while having sex with a married woman and then was beaten to death. Look, can we just give him like one point together? Because it may not be real. And it was such a hard turn that I don't believe that this man did that thing. You only want to give him a one for one. for adulterous sex of the papacy? I Fake mean, adulterous sex. <laughs> I know, but this rumors are often all we're going to have to go on. And we have definitely scored higher for rumors in the past. This one seems so out of place. He's not like an evil, evil man who was maybe murdering babies and sacrificing them to a dark god. No, this is just like, 
I'm busy doing Pope stuff. Oh, also, maybe I was banging your wife. What? No. Okay, so we're not going to give him any points because we think it's definitely fake. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, well, we're going to give him that one. I feel, I thought for sure he was definitely going to score more here. So you get a one in Fructus Prohibitum for your fake rumor. This written in somebody's burn book. Secular rye impactum. Well, he did not improve his relationship with the emperor, but he also didn't do anything provocative to make it worse. He just returned to sender, so, you know, there's that. And he had some pretty good relations with the Lombards, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of middle road. It is middle of the road. Can I, I'm going to sway the uh, complete opposite way and give him a three. I think three is kind of where I am with this too, because, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter for the people of Rome or for the people of those societies. It's just things are, things are all right. So he'll get a six for secular impactum. Fossium Sanctus. Well, this is where we have some stuff to look at. So first of all, I will send you his traditional image, and you can tell me whether you think this is a man who was beaten to death while banging someone's wife. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say about this guy. I don't know. He looks like characterized drawings of Edgar Allan Poe is what he looks like. He does. Yeah. He very, it's, he's got the pouty face. Yeah. And like the real big eyes for no reason. Like Tim Burton style giant eyes. He does. He also has a crack down his face, which gives him a sick like movie villain scar, which is, you know, something. So we're going to rate on this image, but we have other images to look at. So what would you like to give him based on this image? Uh, I have to give him like a two. A two? Oh, you don't like it. No, he's not doing it for me. Even though this is spooky season and he looks like a spooky character from a stop motion Disney film. You've sort of, you've sort of endeared me to it <laughs> with that description. So I'm going to give him a six. So he's going to get a total when we divide it out of a two in this category. Now let's look at this man. So there is a very, very famous image of him. And this is in the Vatican grottos now, which was would have been part of the chapel that he had designed at the time. And you will notice something specific about it is that he has a square halo, which means that he was alive at the time that this was made. Is that what the square means? That is what the square means, that the person who commissioned this piece, as they are portrayed in the piece, was alive at the time that it was created, so... He still has giant eyes. He does, and he has some really arched brows. Like, they are spectacularly arched. He looks like he's trying to hypnotize you. Now he looks more like Tom Green, though. He does look like Tom Green. I know, but you know what? He does have that giant head thing that Edgar Allan Poe has going on, too, where it's so wide at the temples and very narrow at the jaw. Like, that is definitely an Edgar Allan Poe feature. We also have two of the bad images um, of the bad artist of this Pope, and he looks nothing, (laughs) absolutely nothing like the other images. That one looks like, you know, the really highly rendered version of Squidward. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. Do you know? I haven't seen that, but in your description of that, I can absolutely picture this to be 
very, very similar. So yeah, I can get on board with that. There's also one more image I want to show you. This is a completely uncredited image that I cannot find any actual like citation for where it's from. Oh, wow. You just sent me. Yes, that is that is a that is a cursed image. I don't like anything about it. That Squidward image. I'm going to have to post that on our socials this week. Why have you done this to me? <laughs> okay, this other image, completely uncredited, can't find out for the life of me where it is from, but this is the image they've chosen for Pope John VII on catholicsaints.info, and um, it's weird, so I don't know what to make of that. Is there supposed to be another person next to him that they have sort of erased out, or is he the Little Mermaid? He does have that Little Mermaid backsplash. I don't know. I, I feel like the thing beside him might be part of a horse. I don't know why I have part of a horse. <laughs> His fingers know. are broken. Well, he could be, you know, like, you know, when you like pet a horse's butt and you're kind of like, ah, uh, yes, you know, just, I don't don't pet the horse's butt. That's how you get kicked. No, don't do the, it. The, the side, the side haunch, the side haunch of a horse. <laughs> oh, we're going to get messages. You know what I mean. Horse hips. <laughs> Flank? Is that what it's called? <laughs> You're doing great. I mean, I have a point. I, I I know what I'm trying to say, but whether or not, I don't know why. I just kind of got horse impression out of that. It, I wasn't sure if they like erased part of it, like he's hugging somebody and then they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> somebody got really damnatio memoriae I, I, it's possible. Anything... Anything could be happening in this image. He could be the Little Mermaid. He could be the Little Mermaid, but he looks more like Hercules. He does. Ah, it's just, it's He's just got strange. That Justin Timberlake hair. He does. It's everything about this image is weird, and the fact that I cannot credit it to anywhere is, it's just kind of where it is. So there's that. Tempest Pontificus. March 1st, 7.05 to October 18th, 7.07, which is two and a half years and a score of 0.625. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. He is not a saint. We cannot make him the patron saint of anything. Patron saint of handsome Squidward? Well, that would be terrible. That would just be a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that thing to be have any extra... Papal sainthood intervention. <laughs> Cursed image. You don't like handsome Squidward. I do not. So that brings us to his total score, which is a fairly meaty 21.625. And that is still not getting any points for his scandal. So, I mean, it's pretty good. But now I must ask you if he's papal enough and pizzazzy enough for a papal bowl. No. No. The only thing I would want to tell people about is how he died. Allegedly. We've decided it's real fake, so... There is no papal bull for you, Pope Silverfish. Apologies. Which brings us to some thank yous that we have to make. So, first off, to our patrons, who we will absolve of their temporal punishments. So, thank you to Andersunden, Graham Penny... Joel Carlberg Torsel, who wanted me to use his full name and butcher it, so hopefully I have done that for you. So there. Ego te absolvo. And I also need to make a huge 
huge, huge thank you to the historian Stefan Bauer, who I was looking for some very specific segments of the Liber Pontificalis later when it becomes not such a common source. And he sent me literally a website that has every segment of the Liber Pontificalis, which is amazing. And he also sent us a, a review copy of his book, which is The Invention of Papal History, Onofrio Panvinio Between Renaissance and Catholic Reform, which I'm very, very excited about because it's going to help us so much for that time period. So thank you. Nice. Thank you very much for that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com. And we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifex on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifexwishlist. Or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifexpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. And with that, we can say thank you for listening, and goodbye. Bye! Bye!